Well, hello, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I'm Pastor Mark Unger, pastor here at Celebration Church. So glad that you joined with us today. Uh, as you can tell, for those who are in uh, the Green Bay campus, that I'm not here right now. i uh, coming to you via video. For those of you in Stevens Point and others who watch via video, this is nothing new for you. You're always used to seeing me on video. But uh, tonight was not able to be here for all kinds of reasons, but uh, the main one being uh, I have to be in Branson or Nashville, Tennessee tonight to pick up some people to go to Branson to do a TV show tomorrow. My plane was leaking oil and having this aversion to plummeting to my death uh, decided not to fly it until they fix it, so we had to get another plane. And anyways, it turned out I couldn't be here physically tonight, so we're taping it tonight. Also, I am a little overdressed for typically on... Uh, Wednesday nights, but I have a wedding to do this afternoon. It's a busy day today. It's already busy. It's not even noon that I'm taping this at, but uh, anyway, it's fine. Now, on our Wednesday night Bible study, what we do, if this is your first time here, we take a verse, a book of the Bible, we go through it verse by verse, uh, put it in context, and learn as much as we possibly can, uh, instead of jumping all over the Bible, just taking it and reading it as it was written, uh, and, and, and learning it in context. Now, we are in uh, the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, Acts. These are the acts that they performed, the acts of the apostles. Um, and uh, we are in uh, chapter 12 of the book of Acts, uh, starting at... Verse 19, we'll pick it up there. Actually, we kind of ended in the middle of verse 19. But uh, we just read about Peter's miraculous escape from prison. Uh, Peter was put into uh, prison. Uh, uh, Herod had been persecuting the church. He got in on the action, uh, giving the Christians a hard time. He had just had James, the brother of John. So the apostle James had been killed by Herod, put to death by the sword. Arrested Peter, was intending to do the same thing to him. Um, God delivered Peter, uh, but didn't deliver James. And, of course, the big question would be, why? Why did the Lord deliver Peter, but not deliver James? Uh, I have no idea. And neither do you. Um, you know, sometimes we wonder why God will answer prayers in some ways and sometimes he doesn't we don't know that all we're supposed to do is trust him and pray and believe him for miracles and and in the end it's always his call you know people say well god didn't answer my prayer sure he did sometimes no is an answer you don't always get what you want um but you're still supposed to bring your request to God, and uh, as long as it's according to his will, you'll get what you need from God. Sometimes his will is something we're not real crazy about. I will say, uh, it's kind of interesting, James and John, these are the two apostles who had, if, when you read the Gospels, had got their mom to negotiate uh, a special place in the kingdom for her sons. Of course, that really ticked off the other apostles. But uh, uh, Jesus, when he, uh, when mom came and said, gee, can you give us a special place? Can you have one son sit at your right, one sit at your left? Jesus said, look, that's not for me to decide. That's my father in heaven. But he did ask the two brothers, he said, are you willing to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Uh, and they said, sure, no problem. Not realizing the baptism that he was referring to was the baptism of suffering that he was going to endure. And uh, sure enough, 
one of the first apostles to go was one of the brothers who said, sure, no problem. So maybe that's why, you know, he didn't get delivered and was had to suffer. And of course, they virtually all of them uh, died except for uh, John uh, as martyrs. So I don't know. You know, who knows? Sometimes God answers prayers. He doesn't uh, even for Peter. Eventually, Peter uh, did get killed as a martyr. Why not now? Why later? Again, it's all in the hands of God. Trust God in his timing and, uh, and ultimately he has the final say. That's just the reality of the way things work. Um, but it's a one, the good news is you can always trust him. You know, God has your best interests at heart. Even if your best interest sometimes is you go to heaven. I mean, uh, we're not always excited about what our best interests are from his perspective. But anybody, any of you who are parents should get this. I mean, how many times, you know, your kids will ask you for stuff. And most of the time, it's fine. Sure, you do this and I'll do this for you and take it. You know, it's all part of being a parent. And Jesus talked about how fathers are quick to want to bless their sons and their daughters. But you don't give them everything. You can't give them everything. If you give them everything, it's bad for them. Now, I'm in the wonderful position now of being a grandfather, so I don't have to be quite as, as worrisome about saying no. You know, I, I'm sure I say yes much more than uh, my wonderful children would say to their kids. Uh, and I'm sure they would appreciate it if I didn't say quite as much. But even I have my limits. At some point, the little rug rat, you just got to look at them and say no, you cannot have more cotton candy. You know, it's some point you still got to say no, even though from the child's perspective, they can't imagine why. You know, uh, my grandsons now are, uh, the two oldest ones are three years old, and they're at the point now is they can't imagine why they can't have what they want. They really think the only thing that determines whether they get something is whether they want it or not. And if you tell them no, they reason back. But I want it. And, you know, they can get rather dramatic. In fact, they're getting more dramatic as the days go by. Uh, explaining why when they want it, they got to have it. Oh, but I want to scream and holler and just have fits. And you want to strangle the little sweethearts. But uh, So any parent gets this. And it's the same with God. We don't always get what we want when we want it. Sometimes we do get it. My grandson will say, you know, can I have some cotton candy? And sure, Grandpa says, yeah, here you go. You know, let's go get a buzz going here. Uh, and other times I say no to them. And I'm sure they have a hard time distinguishing, well, why not? Other times I ask you, you say yes, why not now? Well, now it's just before dinner and, you know, you can't reason with them. Uh, but, but I think it's the same way with us and God. At times you'll get answers to prayer. Other times you won't. Uh, you know, sometimes we even act like spoiled little children getting upset with God. Uh, don't do that. Okay, trust him. You can trust God completely. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows what's good for you. And he knows what's not good for you. And ultimately, he knows what is best for his kingdom. Uh, you know, in my life, you know, for, for many years, as most of you know, I, I was out of ministry. Uh, I was in the ministry as a young man. But, but about the time I turned 30, I thought, this is really a drag. <laughs> <laughs> was it going well? Nobody cared what I had to say or thought. And of course, you know, I looked like I was still 12. That might have been part of the problem. 
there's some advantages to getting bald and gray. People start taking you a little bit more seriously. But, uh, you know, I, I got so frustrated that I got out of ministry and I was in business for 17 years. And, man, the prayers I would pray. And I'm a man who trusts God and I've seen miracles and my wife and I have had a disproportionate amount of miracles in our lives. We have... It would take me hours to tell you all the stories of the wonderful ways God has answered our prayers. But even in the midst of this, I would pray, God bless our business, God bless our business. And it was like it wasn't happening. And uh, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. You know, this is toward the end and getting so squeezed to the point where I I told my wife, I said, you know, Deb, I I don't get it. You know, maybe maybe we zigged when we should have zagged. Maybe... God's trying to tell us something. Maybe we should get back into ministry. And um, it was really God not answering those prayers that brought me to a place of reevaluating my life and saying, well, maybe God has something different for me. I can tell you this. If God would have answered my prayers uh, that I prayed so intently and so faithfully and with great faith to bless my business, had he answered those prayers, I promise you, I would not be here today. I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. I would be, you know, just enjoying life and, and doing my business, which is fine. I mean, there's a lot of you are in business. Not everybody's called to ministry. I'm just telling you, sometimes the answer is no. And as painful as it is and as uncomfortable as it is and as confusing at times as it can be, trust him. He has your best interests at heart. I'm so glad That as a father to a son, God said no to me and brought us to the place where we are today. I'm uh, having more fun than I've ever had in my life. More fun than should be legally allowed. But, uh, and just excited that God can use us to bless other people's lives, bless you and all those that we're uh, ministering to as we travel around the country. But again, all of that really came about with more no's to my prayer life than yeses. And, uh, and it's okay. So don't freak out. Trust him. He loves you. He cares for you. The good news is your best interests are absolutely at the center of his heart. And, uh, and you can trust him in that way. So here, here again, James dies. Peter gets this incredible miracle. You know, the angel comes in and he just walks out of jail. And, and uh, very, very cool. So we pick it up now uh, at verse 19. Uh, because what happens, Peter disappears from jail and all of a sudden he's out preaching and Herod sends for Peter to bring him you know so he can execute him and nobody can find Peter and uh, it says here after Herod had made a thorough search for him and did not find him he cross-examined the gardens guards the gardens the guards and ordered that they be executed bad day for the guards uh, I felt bad felt, felt bad for them they were just doing their jobs but um, they all got killed because Peter had miraculously and mysteriously escaped from jail. And that was the punishment. You lose a a prisoner, it was over for you. Okay? So, then now continuing here, it says, Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there for a while. And he had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted Um, personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. 
And the people all began to shout. This is the voice of a God, not of a man. In other words, they were kissing up royally. Remember, they were sucking up to this guy, trying to get peace with him and, 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 and in the country. They depended on his country for their food supply. And when they started saying, this is not the voice of a man, this is the voice of a God, they no longer believed that than the man in the moon. My guess is they probably despised the man at a personal level. But here they are kissing up to him and shouting his praises. Oh, what a great speech. Fabulous speech. This is the voice of a god. Uh, Well, it says in the very next verse, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God. In other words, what God would have expected from Herod is when people started shouting that he was a god, would have expected him to say, no, no, I'm not a god. You know, God is God and I'm just the king and da, da 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 but he didn't do that Herod sucked it up and he loved it and he loved all the butt kissing that was going on and yeah I'm a, yes I probably am a god great sermon great speech I gave here uh, and because he did that it says an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died <laughs> I pointed this out last week you know usually you die and then are eaten by worms uh, this is the bad way he's eaten by worms first and then dies so I don't know what worm problem this guy had but it was ugh, what a way to go <coughs> eaten by worms so that's how he dies but then it goes on and says but the word of God continued to increase and spread uh, wise that in there. That's in spite of the fact that Herod had been trying to persecute them and make their life miserable. God dealt with Herod and the word of God continued to spread. And then it says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. What mission? What is he talking about? Well, remember back at the uh, end of chapter uh, 11, uh, Paul and Barnabas were together with all the the Christians up at, at, uh, at Antioch. And someone had prophesied that there was going to be a hard financial time back in Jerusalem. So they got together a bunch of money. And then Paul and Saul was his name at the time. Saul and Barnabas took the money to Jerusalem to uh, encourage the Christians there. And and just as an act of love, um, putting their money where their mouth is. Again, it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to say, I love you enough to help you. I love you enough to help you financially. I love you enough to let you have access to what I have. This was the kind of love they had in the New Testament church, as we've seen many times already. They loved each other so much that the Bible says no one considered anything that they owned belonged to them. They considered everything belonged to God, and they gave to everyone as they had need. And if someone had a need and was able to step forward and meet that need, they did. And uh, being inspired by that, actually, we're, we're working on that now, uh, trying to get a program like that in place here at Celebration Church, so that if a need is, um, you know, made known, that we can post it on a website, people can go to the website, see the needs, and anonymously be able to help. You know, maybe uh, someone needs a, a lawnmower, and you think, well, man, i got three of them sitting in my garage. You know, you can have one, that kind of thing. Or someone is $75 short on a bill, some single mom who's struggling, and someone says, well, I'll, I'll give her 75 bucks. So that kind of New Testament, New Testament Christianity where uh, our money is where our mouth is, where we say we love, but we not just say it, but we actually do it. That is the most important. And by the way... Um, that is really the most important amount. What you say is really not all that important. You can say I love you all day long, but if you won't do anything to help 
others and contribute and uh, be a part of helping other people's lives, your words don't mean anything. Uh, Better that you might be the kind of person who never says anything, but yet lives it and does it. And uh, that ultimately, when on judgment day we stand before uh, Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, um, we will be judged not on what we said. We will not be judged on what we thought. We will not be judged on what we felt, nor will we be judged by what we intended. Oh man, I really meant to do that. Oh, you have no, in my heart, in, ooh, in my heart, I really meant to do that. All of that equals jack squat on that day. The only thing that will matter is what we did. It's just that simple. That's why the Bible encourages us to be doers of the word. Not just listeners, not just being blessed, not being, oh, I feel it in my heart. But are you moved to the point that you actually live this stuff out? Well, they all live this. And not only did they live this in their little community, when they heard that the Christians down the road were going to be hurting, they took money and sent it via Barnabas and Saul and gave it to them. So now it says when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, which was they went to Jerusalem to give them this money, they returned home from Jerusalem, uh, taking with them John, also called Mark. I think it's the second time we've heard the reference of John Mark, and uh, and we'll hear it a little bit more because John Mark becomes a big fighting point at some point, and we'll, we'll get to that anyway. So they just happened to mention this John Mark was with them. So now we're chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, this is where uh, Barnabas and Saul were hanging out. This is where is kind of their home church at, at this point in Antioch. Um, it says, at the church in, at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then they named them. Uh, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. I have, you know, be real interesting to do a real in-depth historical study to find out, you know, who was this guy? Was he actually, he says, raised with Herod the Tetrarch, is, is he... You know, up the food chain was he a guy of, of a great influence? Uh, you know, upper class of the day who had become a believer. That's what it sounds like. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. So, and and the church was very much like that. They there were people of great wealth, extreme poverty, uh, important people, complete nothings, um, all of them mixed together. Um, that's what was such a great credit in the kingdom of God, as you've heard me say many times. Uh, churches that are so often based around a certain type of person I don't think gives glory to God many churches they're either all white or they're all black or they're all Spanish or they're all upper class or middle class or all lower class that's very that's been the standard uh, through uh, American Christianity for for so many years I don't know when it was ever different but uh, I think what's so fantastic about a church like uh, Celebration Church and other churches that are really growing today is that model's being broken down. Celebration Church isn't just about upper class white people. Okay? It might be lower class white people. And it might be middle class black people. And it might be, who cares what the classes are, what the, you know, uh, colors or stuff like that. Uh, we've got people who are here every Sunday in suits and ties. Others, you know, ponytails and uh, tattoos and come to church on motorcycles. Cool. Who cares? We don't care. We just want to love everybody and we don't all have to look, think, and be the same. In fact, the more diversity, praise God, the better. So they were experiencing that as well. And then the the last one in their list was Saul. Now, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit speaks. Okay. So someone uh, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit must have spoke out, prophesied, and said these words. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Okay, so now Barnabas and Saul go on what we consider Paul's first missionary journey. And uh, and most of your Bibles in the back, they've got all these cool little maps and stuff. And uh, one of the maps they usually always stick in there are the missionary journeys of Paul. And you can see his first missionary journey, his second missionary journey, his third missionary journey. And then finally when he gets hauled off to Rome, where that's the last we hear about him. Um, if we were really, 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 really wanted to work hard, we would take the map behind me and highlight it and show you on the map where they go. But quite frankly, we don't want to work that hard. Just look at the back of your Bibles. So, so you can get a kind of a sense of where these guys were going. So here we go. So the two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. John again. Here's John Mark. Again, they keep sticking this guy in there. So it says, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, or as you'll see in a minute, referred to as Elimus the sorcerer, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now the proconsul was an intelligent man. He sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God, wanted to hear what these guys were talking about. Kind of a new thing. Here comes uh, Saul. Uh, and Barnabas, they're going around preaching the gospel. The, you know, Sergius Paulus, the top dog in, in the area, uh, the ruler wants to hear what these guys got to say. But Elimus, uh, the sorcerer, I guess that's how you say that, for that's what his name means also, uh, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So, here is Saul, I keep wanting to call him Paul. He eventually turns his name to Paul, becomes Paul the Apostle. But at this point, he's just Saul. Saul and Barnabas, they're there. They're coming before the proconsul, and they're explaining to them the wonderful things of, of faith in God and how he can be born again and experience forgiveness in his life. Well, Elemas the sorcerer um, hated this and didn't want Uh, these guys, and certainly did not want the leader to convert to Christianity. So he opposes Saul and Barnabas. And I don't, you know, and the implication here is is even at the very same time, you know, Paul and and Barnabas would try to make his argument, and then the sorcerer would say, ah, so much of baloney, no, listen, that's so he was fighting them the whole time. Well, uh, it says here uh, at verse 9, then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now I can start calling him Paul, okay? So this is now when they change his name. He was Saul, the one who had persecuted Christians and was working together as in Saul. And then somewhere uh, in Antioch, as they were before they'd gone on this mission, by this time they were starting to refer to him as Paul, a new name, which was an appropriate thing. He'd been so dramatically transformed. They thought, well, you need a new name, a new identity. So they started calling him Paul. And known as Paul the Apostle, who wrote, by the way, most of the New Testament. Uh, so, also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looks at Elymas and says, you are a child of the devil 
and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Now, it's interesting. Um, uh, when we read about how, you know, you know, these guys would be tormented by different people and stuff like that, and then they would finally turn around and rebuke them or something like that will happen. You'll see that in some of these stories. Uh, it wasn't always right away. These guys were patient. They didn't just turn around and just zap people. Uh, it doesn't say how long this went on with this guy giving him a hard time. But at some point, he had crossed the line and the Holy Spirit must have spoke to Paul and said, shut this guy up. And uh, so he says that to him. He says, you're going to be blind and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Well, immediately, mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Well, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he was pretty impressed. And he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So maybe the, maybe the Holy Spirit waited until this guy had enough faith in him at this point. Um, you know, maybe if... if Paul would have turned and, and zapped this guy right away. Uh, um, the proconsul would have thought, you know, Paul's just a better magician than this magician. You know, who knows? But it was delayed long enough that Paul could speak into his life. He was already being amazed by the things of God. He was getting now that it wasn't about these two guys talking to him. It was about the God of heaven and earth. And then suddenly, then Paul turns around and tells this guy to shut up. You can't, you're going to be blind. And all of a sudden, boom instantaneously the guy can't see and the proconsul goes wow very impressive and instead of giving glory to Paul who had just pulled this off he immediately believed in the Lord because at that point he got it okay so very cool alright so now from there Paul and his uh, companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia where John left them to return to Jerusalem remember that we're going to talk about that a little bit later when Paul and Barnabas start fighting about this one account. Here's John Mark. He's with them. He's helping them. He's traveling with them. He's assisting them. Well, you know, then Paul goes uh, with, with his companions. They're all going to, uh, uh, to Perga. And John leaves and goes back to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why John left. We just know that he left. Okay? So we'll come back to that as we run into it later. Now from Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, which is a different Antioch than where they were at. This is Pisidian Antioch. And then on the Sabbath, and, and this was their tradition, when they would come into town, Paul very much believed as a Jew that salvation belongs first to the Jews. And his tradition was when he would come into town, he would go and he would, on the Sabbath, go and proclaim the gospel to the Jews first. And then he would also turn to the Gentiles, and proclaim the gospel to them as well. Now, uh, usually what would happen is the Jews would get pretty mad at him, and then because they reject him is why he wound up going uh, to the Gentiles. Uh, so anyway, so this is what happens. He gets into town, and then on the Sabbath he enters the synagogue and sat down. Well, after the reading of the law and the prophets, this is after their church service, this is what they did, uh, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So uh, this is one of the things that they did. They're, 
worship services really, even in the early Christian worship services, were different. Uh, I think quite a bit different than, than what we do today. Not that what we do today is wrong. Uh, it was just different. A lot of it was from this Jewish uh, tradition that they were raised in. And, you know, it was just a different dynamic. They didn't get together for an hour on Sunday morning. These guys would get together for hours. They'd spend the whole day together. And uh, we'll, we'll read the story at some point here where Paul's preaching so long, some guy up in the loft falls asleep and uh, falls from the loft to his death. Now, you would think, hey, people start dropping dead for my preaching. Maybe it's time to shut up, okay? You start keeling over in my service. I'm going to think it's time to wrap stuff up. Well, Paul goes, raises the guy back to life, and then keeps on preaching. <laughs> as, as if he didn't get the hint at this point. But these guys would go on for very long uh, exhortations, long services. They were there for a while. They didn't have cars. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have all the hustle bustle that we have today. Anyway, because of that culture and the timing and the tempo, they often would allow anyone who wanted to get up to speak. And when we get around to reading the book of Corinthians, we will see that uh, this is one of the things that they did in the early church and how different people were allowed to speak. Now, we don't do that. Uh, You come to church, you pretty just much get to listen to what I have to say. And we don't go around asking for different people, why don't you just get up and share what God has put on your heart? Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... You do that in church services today, in this culture, ain't nobody going to church because you're talking hours and hours by the time people get done sharing and talking and blah, 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 blah. So uh, it's a much more structured environment that we have today. But back then, very different. They were doing their thing. They read from the scriptures and stuff and see these new guys and say, if, if you have a word of encouragement, you know, feel free to share. So these guys got up. So it says here in verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Now remember, there was a big distinction between Jews and Gentiles. Um, Jews were pretty much going to heaven. Gentiles were just a little higher than chickens and on their way to hell. And they didn't quite frankly care much about it. Uh, Salvation was for the Jews. Well, then there was an intermediate group. There were Gentiles who believed what Jews believed. But uh, they were referred to not as Jews. They still kept the, the wall of separation there. These guys were very much into the wall of separation. But they referred to them as Gentiles who worship God. Uh, or, or Gentile believers. So when he said, um, you know, to you Jews and you Gentiles who worship God, basically converts to Judaism uh, were these, uh, these Gentiles. So he said, anyway, you guys, listen to me. And then he starts to preach. Now, we already read uh, a couple of sermons. One was uh, when Peter first got filled with the Holy Spirit, went through his deal. We read Stephen's sermon. Stephen went through like the whole Old Testament and stuff like that. Now we're going to read a sermon that Paul preaches. And again, he tends to back up and go through the Old Testament again. Uh, this was kind of the way these guys would talk when they would share and reason uh, amongst themselves. They would start at the beginning and go through a historical perspective to kind of explain where things are at today. Uh, and I'm assuming this is, even this is a, a miniaturized version of everything that he said. But again, 
no one was in a big hurry. Everybody's sitting and chilling. And uh, just, you know, we, we wouldn't talk. If every time I had to share something and I got up and started at Genesis and went through Revelations, nobody would come to church. And I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't come to church to listen to all that. But this is kind of the culture in which they lived. And, and I think... Uh, someone like Stephen or Paul or whoever, by going through some of the historical references, in a way, they were showing their uh, their credibility, you know, their their letters of learning. This is, this is, you can listen to me, you know what I'm talking about, I'm one of you, I get it. And they would do that by rehearsing uh, the history of the Jewish nation and that kind of thing. All right, so, let us read Paul's sermon. Uh, to these people at Pisidian Antioch. He says, The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct, which means he put up with their nonsense for about 40 years in the desert. And that's exactly what he did. He tolerated their nonsense. Very very diplomatic of Paul to say he endured their conduct. These guys were outrageous. God would do miracles one day and they'd whine the next. God would do another miracle and they'd complain the next day after that. These are the guys after Moses goes up for a month, 30 days, 40 days to get the Ten Commandments. By the time he comes back, they're all dancing naked around a cow, worshiping a cow. These people were intolerable. And in fact, they got it, finally had it with them. To the point, he says, none of you guys are getting into the promised land. Your kids will, but you guys aren't getting in. Because they were such a pain. And they just wandered in circles for 40 years. Why for 40 years? It took that long for them to all die off from that generation before the next generation grew up. And then they went into the promised land. So moral of that story is God will wait you out. But uh, So these guys went on and on and on, and he put up with their conduct for 40 years in the desert. Then he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. This is the promised land. When they came into the promised land, there were these seven nations in Canaan who did not want them there, and they had to fight them for it, and God was with them, and uh, in great, incredible, miraculous fashion, as God is given to, uh, they won. And he says, all this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. You can read this in the Old Testament. In fact, there's a whole book called the Book of Judges. That's where we read stories like of Samson uh, and uh, some of these guys. uh, Phenomenal stories of these incredible men and women uh, that uh, God would use until Samuel the prophet comes along. Well, then Samuel the prophet comes along and the people ask for a king. And God told them, you don't need a king. I will be your king. But they whined again. And they complained, we want a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. All the other nations have a king. Bobby and Susie have a king. How come I don't have a king? They're acting like children. And God finally gives them a king. Warning them that they're not going to be happy with this king and this whole king business. But they so wanted to be like the people around them. Man, there's a whole sermon there which I do not have time to get into. Or we will never get done with the book of Acts. But we'll come back and preach on that sometime. The fact that people, the temptation of people of faith, if we're not careful, is we want to be like the people around us. 
We want to be like the people around us. And in fact, we are so prone to try to be and act and think like the people around us, we become really uh, muted in our spiritual growth. And, And we don't really grow up and we don't really have the power of God. And we struggle with stupid stuff because we act, think, behave just like the pagans with which we live. Boy, and I'll tell you, no other area is that even more prevalent than the area that I deal with so much, the, the area of marriage and family. And, and we often hear that churches have the same divorce rate as, as non-Christians, which is a horrible thing. How is that even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible, because people of faith want to be like, they want to have a king. They want to be like everybody else around us. And we think like them, and we behave like them, and we believe the same stupid stuff they believe in. Even though we believe in Jesus, we get so affected by our culture around us, we think and act and behave just like the culture around us, so that it actually starts to weaken the power of God in our lives. And then we start having the same results that they have. Who do not believe in God at all. And that is the greatest slap in our face. Man, if we're struggling and we're having the same kind of experience that people without God are having, uh, that's a huge rebuke. And I'm glad that that's not true in this church and that's not true of our, our experience here. But uh, as Christianity as a whole throughout this country, we uh, sadly are doing very poorly and are struggling in our, in our daily lives, the, the part of life that really where the rubber meets the road, because we're not thinking biblically, we're more concerned about wanting to think and behave and be like the culture in which we live. If you do that, you will struggle. Better to who cares. I don't care what the culture around us says. I want to do things that are right. I want to do things the way God teaches us to do it. And our focus is, and the reason you're even here right now listening, is because we want to learn what God has to say. And we want to think like these guys were thinking. We want to think more biblically. And while there's differences today, we don't have the same kind of elongated worship services that they had. And granted, they didn't have cars and all the different things. I get it. Life is different. But fundamentally, the principles of Christianity, the principles of love, patience, kindness, forgiveness, long-suffering, righteousness, all the things that are here, uh, we can still experience today. And if we will be careful to live and cherish by these rules instead of wanting to be like everybody else and the, the reason I say that is because when you really start living like this it will make you different it just will if, if you don't like being different than everybody else I gotta tell you Christianity isn't for you man I mean you can play games all you want but the reality is if you really live this it will change you you will seem different to others you will come across as different hopefully different in the kind of way that they will want to be like you but make no mistake there are the uh, you know uh, Lemus the sorcerer kind of guys who will hate what you're about no matter what you do no matter how kind you are no matter how faithful how wonderful no matter how patient you are with them they'll still hate it they just hate the message of Christianity why who knows there's just there's people like that and you just feel sorry for them uh, but the reality is you won't quite be like people who don't have faith and for some people that's uncomfortable and you've all experienced it if you've been in Christianity at all you know you get around your family your friends your boss the the, the business parties and stuff like that man you don't quite fit in you know you're like a square peg trying to get in a round hole I say don't get in the hole just be the square peg God made you live by his principles we will not 
fit all the time with everybody around us. Better to not fit into a system that will destroy you. <laughs> it's not like, you know, people try to, to, to compromise and fit into a system. It's broken, man. It's a disaster. Who, I don't want to fit into that. I want to fit into this picture. I want to fit into the square hole that God has made up of righteousness and, and of life and in faith in Christ. Because out of this stuff comes life and success and blessing. It'll make us different, but let's be different. Uh, but different in a nice way, loving people, not hating those that are different from us, though they may hate you. But let's not be like the children of Israel who so wanted to be like everybody else around them. They wanted a king. So the people asked for a king, verse 21, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, who turned out to be a real pain, uh, and uh, we'll get into that as we go through our Bible study at some point, we'll do the story, some Old Testament runs and, and go through parts of it. And the whole story of Saul and David and stuff is, is a fabulous uh, historical lesson. But Saul got so proud and, and arrogant and God couldn't use him anymore that he made David the king. This is David. This is the little guy who comes along. And when Saul and the whole army was afraid of this big guy named Goliath, this young kid undoubtedly in his teens, uh, says in front of them all, he says, you guys afraid of this guy? I'm not afraid of him. I can take him. And not because of his own strength. He says, I can take him because I know God is with me. And uh, boy, I'm telling you, we, uh, we need young people like that. Man, let's raise those kinds of kids. Let's, you know what? Instead of us as adults having to challenge our kids to righteousness, wouldn't it be great? If we raise the kind of kids that they challenged us. Holy cow, I mean, that's, that's what I want to see. That's what happened with David. All the, all the adults, they're, they're used to, you know, well, we can't take on this giant. You know, it's not part of our religious tradition. Can't do something different. We've never done it that way before. And this young guy comes up and says, man, you guys are a bunch of girly men. God is bigger than that giant. And though I'm a young boy, we can take him. We can do it. He had great faith, and he was egging on the adults. Come on, let's advance for the kingdom of God. Man, let's have children like that. Let's raise kids like that. Let's start, and I'll tell you, one of the ways we'll start raising kids like that is if we stop thinking like the world around us and let our kids be different in a righteous way, let faith build up in them. Sadly, most uh, young people today... Uh, in the church, according to studies, you know, I don't know how it is with ours. Hopefully we're not having this bad a result. But all the studies are showing among evangelical churches that by the first or second year in college, up to 75% of our young people are giving up on their faith altogether. So, man, we've, we've, we're still the old guys trying to get the young guys to snap out of it. Why? Because we're doing something wrong. My guess is because our family lives are such a mess. And we're not living this stuff at home. The very thing I talked about a minute ago. The kids don't take our Christianity seriously. I mean, it's kind of hard to sell that you love Jesus when you hate mom. Kind of hard, you know, that you really love Jesus if you want dad to die and go to hell. You know, that kind of stuff. Man, if we can't live this stuff at home, it's going to affect our kids ultimately. So we have to start having strong families and living this way and start raising our kids the right way. Man, wouldn't it be great to have these young guys challenge us and uh you know i've just been recently talking to uh pastor uh lathan and, and some of our 
older team about some of the younger guys in the church. Pastor Ross, Phil, Bob, some of the guys on staff here. Uh, they've been challenging us, you know. Let's do this. We can grow. Let's get some of these campuses going. Let's move out. And, of course, we're the older ones. More, and we're going, well, we can't rush too quickly. Got to be very careful. And, uh, you know, but I'm starting to feel rebuked by these guys. Well, great. As the way it should be. The younger guys coming up saying to us, come on, we can do this. We can take the land. You know, we don't want to be like the, the uh, people who are afraid to go in and take the promised land. We want to be like those who, in the face of all the fear, said, we can do it. Yes, we can. And we're starting to get that from some of our younger generation guys here at the church, which is great. And we need that. And we need uh, that kind of energy and passion and stuff. So uh, what a great thing. David comes along and he does these great things. So after removing Saul, he makes, he makes David their king. And he testifies concerning David. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David is known as a man after God's own heart. And uh, we'll pick this up again uh, at this point uh, for next Wednesday. And, uh, and continue from there. And we'll touch a little bit about David. Uh, again, we'll get into it in much more detail when we go back and do an Old Testament study of Saul and David and, and look at that, that whole event that, that took place there. But uh, David, a man who, God just loved this guy. He called him a man after his own heart. Was he perfect? Definitely not. David had some serious issues. And when we get into that whole story, we'll, we'll, we'll break that open. But it's not about being perfect you know, here David, he eventually commits adultery and murder, you know. You know, I have my issues, but I haven't done that stuff, you know. Uh, but still a man that God loved, uh, who had a good heart, even though he made some bad mistakes. Um, ultimately, you know, what God is really looking for is not so much perfect people, but people with, with good hearts, who who are willing to follow God, to even after mistakes, to seek after God. I mean, a lot of those psalms that you read where he's crying out to the Lord, oh my Lord, I've cried out to... You know, a lot of this, some of the stuff was, you know, after uh, he had sinned and made those big mistakes, he still had a heart crying out for God, wanting to know God. Wow, so much that we can learn from that. So, anyway, we'll pick up uh, at this point of Paul's sermon next week and continue on uh, in our study of the book of Acts. Hope to see you then. God bless.